What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I will be hosting today's episode, and I am joined today by Carter Hone, who is the Director of Pitching at BRX Performance in Milwaukee. Carter has a long experience in baseball, both as a player and then now as a pitching development coach. So Carter and I dive into his own baseball journey, what he learned by going through a variety of injuries as a pitcher, how he incorporates some of those lessons into his role as a pitching coach. We get specific about some of the common mechanical flaws he sees in youth pitchers, the trade-off between working on improving performance and monitoring workload and injury risk, and how all those things can tie to, together in a long-term pitching development plan. So if you are a baseball player or someone that works with baseball players, I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Carter has a really sharp mind as up-and-coming pitching coach in the um, country, and I'm excited to share this information with you. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I am joined today by Carter Hone, who is the throwing coordinator at BRX Performance in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, Carter, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on the podcast today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to talk a little bit about some injuries and some performance. Yeah, I think it'll be uh, hopefully a really educational episode for anyone that's in baseball, um, whether they are dealing with an injury or just trying to throw fuel. So I, uh, I always like to start with your baseball background a little bit. What's kind of everyone talks about their baseball story. So what's your, what's your kind of baseball story as a player? All right. So, um, I grew up playing high school baseball in Kansas city. Um, nothing too crazy or spectacular there, you know, travel ball circuit and whatnot. Um, after that I went to, a two-year private school in uh, Kansas called Heston College, um, and then spent six months at Driveline after that, and then moved on to a year at Friends University, and then finished my senior year at Central Christian College of Kansas. So uh, a very rainbow career, kind of got a little bit of everything going on in there. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think it some ways probably in your role now which we can kind of dive into like how you actually got into pitching coaching but I'm sure it's sort of helpful to have experience at a bunch of different places types of schools like as you're talking to kids about deciding on colleges or the recruiting process or things like that yeah it's definitely uh created some different experiences which has been helpful when talking to kids about you know going to different schools um Originally, when I was leaving my two-year, I was committed to go to a Division One. so I've kind of dealt with the recruiting process at all different levels, um, kind of dealt with some of the rules and things along those lines. Um, so it definitely gives me some, some good talking points, especially when we're talking to, you know, the, the younger guys with it being so, you know, everyone, it looks like everyone's just you know, trying to get committed as like an eighth grader or a freshman and things along those lines. And having good talking points to go along with those has definitely created some some interesting conversations, to say the least. Yeah, no, I'm sure we could probably do just a podcast on, on only recruiting and things like that. But uh, let's dive into pitching a little more. How did you how do you kind of get your start or interest or know you wanted to be a pitching coach? Um, so it kind of got started. um you know, when I started college, I was going into exercise science. I just kind of wanted to be, you know, an SNC guy. Um, but then after I tore my labrum my freshman year of college, um, I did numerous hours of research before going into that surgery because I wanted to be prepared. 
Um, and I think that just kind of got me started going down the rabbit hole, um, learning about efficient movement patterns, things along those lines. And it just kind of was a whirlwind from there. Um, I think my, my junior year at college, um, I started coaching a 16U travel ball team. Um, and about two months into it, next thing I knew, I was running velocity development classes and pitching clinics and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it just kind of went on from there. I think year two, going through my senior year, I had about 25 clients. And this is in you know small town, Kansas. I had like, I think the population of the town I was in was like 3,000 people. Um, ended up hiring a physical therapist to do all of our table assessments for us. Things along those lines, and you know, next thing I knew, I had eight 17 year olds in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, throwing mid to upper 80s. And I was like, you know, I, I kind of like doing this. And then, uh, you know, I, I graduated my senior year with COVID happening, so that was an awesome end to the old <laughs> career. Um, and then a couple months later, was moving up to BRX to do it full time. That's great. I think that's uh. It's a nice story. I think that's, it's funny because sometimes I think baseball is interesting, but just in my time around athletes, sometimes the best players are not the greatest coaches. A lot of times the best coaches are like ones that made a career out of it, but like really had to work at it, really had to, they went through things themselves. Like they either had to improve or went through an injury or because then that's how they started learning more. Like the guys that are just supremely talented are often like the worst coaches. It's like, well, how'd you do that? Like, what, what do you mean? I, you just do it. Like, yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. I can't, I can't agree more because, you know, I've, I've met some incredibly talented individuals that can move extremely well, but they couldn't begin to ex- begin to describe how they get into those positions or how they move. Um, so I, I can't agree more. It was definitely one of those things where, you know, I was my own personal science experiment for four years, um, <laughs> led to numerous injuries and numerous <laughs> surgeries, and still somehow at the end of it was throwing harder than I did before all the injuries. Um, yeah. So really trying to like own what I was doing really helped me you know, navigate the entire field of you know, how much of this information am I taking in that is crap and how much of it actually works. Um, so that was... That was really interesting, and I think that definitely got me into a mindset of being able to relate to guys. Yeah. Um, I think as of right now, like my favorite thing to do is work with guys who are going through like TJ rehab or anything along those lines because it's very rare for them to work with someone who's actually gone through some of the same things. And I think that that definitely helps as far as like the empathy side of things goes. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a perfect segue of uh, like diving into you've had your fair share of injuries and you've kind of already been talking about it a little bit, but, um, what, what injuries have you dealt with and what are some of the lessons that you've learned by going through those rehab processes? Mm-hmm. So I think I've herniated a disc in my lumbar spine, I think three or four times starting, nice. starting in high school. Perfect. So, you know, really like to rotate in one direction. That was great. Um, I tore my labrum and my shoulder, the same week that I got a really bad concussion my freshman year. Awesome. Um, so waited like six months before surgery. Um, after that, he was my junior year of college. I had an ulnar nerve transposition. Um, I think the last game that I pitched before that, 
my fingers were numb the entire time I was throwing. So I had no clue where the ball was going. That was a, an interesting one. Um, but as far as like, you know, things that I've learned throughout those injuries, I definitely have to say like tearing my labrum was probably one of the biggest things that molded me as a person and as a coach. Um, you know, going through my research beforehand, you know, you start to figure out that like maybe 12% of people can actually rehab from this properly and throw at the same level. And at that point I was like, there's not a chance I am not going to be one of those people. Um, so it really started to instill what I like to call to people is the rehab work ethic, because for some reason you just can't duplicate it. Like when your career's on the line and you know, nobody should do this, but most people do is, you know, who you are is what you are. And I was a baseball player and that was who I was. So just kind of got into that mindset of like, nothing can hold me back. I'm going to get after this. And the next thing I knew, like, you know, it was six months after surgery. I was back squatting to box like four or five for like 10 reps. Uh, it just, and you know, when you get into that point, like the doctor told me all I was allowed to do was leg days other than my physical therapy. So I was just doing heavy legs like three times a week because it was all I could do. Yeah. And I think that was kind of one of those things that just kind of molded me for the rest of my life, like teaching me what it was like to get into that deeper work ethic of nothing matters. I'm just going to get through this yeah. and try and win. And that kind of worked out. No, I mean, I think that's awesome. It's something that we, we try to reframe with every athlete. I don't want to be naive and be like, Oh, you had TJ or you hurt your shoulder or you're rehabbing your ACL. This is, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Right. Cause like, yeah, that's not super popular like at no. that particular point in time. And, and honestly, there's, you know, I wish that there was other ways that we could teach kids the same lessons without having to go through the negatives. But, um, we really do try to reframe it as it's an opportunity that you'll learn more about your body in this upcoming year. You'll have more time to work on yourself in this upcoming year, um, with no teammates completing travel schedules, whatever you'll, you know, you'll be able to learn all this stuff and you'll take these lessons with you for the rest of your career. Um, and time and time again, it's true. And we hear stories like that of what they learned throughout the, the process that has stuck with them. Um, so we, we do work on that a lot in the early phases of just like reframing this from this is horrible. It's the worst thing ever. My life's over. I'm never going to throw the same again or whatever to, okay, feel bad for yourself for a little while, but what, what's yeah. next? What can, how can we turn this into a positive? Yeah. A hundred percent. Like the crazy part for me is, you know, every surgery that I've had, I've always thrown harder after the fact. Um, and I, I think we're starting to see that a lot with TJ rehab guys. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, you have all of this time to learn more about your body, how it can functions and to maximize its potential. And yeah, I mean, I, you see a lot of guys that are down in the dumps after surgery. And once you start to explain it to them, like, Hey, this can be the most transformative process in your entire life. It can change your career. You just have to put your nose to the grindstone and get after it. And I think that that can be really a, a big time for some individuals, uh, especially, you know, guys who get hurt really early on in their careers, um, say like early college and say they only threw 85 miles an hour, but now they have this huge support team. They're at a college. They can 
truly just work on their body for like a year and the next thing you know they're coming out you know sitting low to mid 90s and you're like where did this come from and it's it truly is just you know showing what's possible when you focus on the right things the entire time of you know everyone everyone can get crazy things like that to happen without the surgery it's just you know finding a professional to actually help you learn what your body actually needs to get to those positions right no exactly and that's what we and you said it perfectly like it's one of the myths that we keep trying to kill that like oh uh, if i get tj i'm gonna throw harder it's like no like (laughs) if you just if you would commit to just like working on your body and not playing or whatever and like yeah at the end of that year you would probably throw harder with or without tommy john just tommy john forced you to do it exactly exactly 100 percent. i couldn't agree with that more so well and kind of taking this a slightly different level or, or direction kind of what did you learn about pitching it specifically as you rehab from these injuries um I don't know about pitching specifically. I think this is where I really started to learn a lot more about workload management as far as like just throwing in general goes. Um, you know, that's, that's something that I pretty much focus our entire throwing program here on is workload management, not necessarily velocity development. Um, because I, when you're going through it, you know, I, I remember the first rehab process that I went through with my ulnar nerve transposition. The very first throw that I made, we had a MOTA sensor on, you know, now called Pulse. Um, but I think it was 18 months straight, I wore a MOTA sensor for every single throw that I made. And I think that was a huge learning moment for me as far as workload management of, you know, I want to do a lot more throws today, but my workload doesn't allow for it. So how can I find the best of both worlds and ended up learning, you know, I can throw a blue plyo ball. That's one pound. I can throw that four times to one baseball throw and end up with the same workload. So really trying to figure out how I can work on my craft and manage my workload, but get the most out of it at the same time. I think that was probably the biggest thing that I learned um, throughout that process. And I think that's been really helpful in how I've thought about creating throwing programs to this day. Um, you know, when we manage our workload correctly and we start to move a little bit more efficiently, ultimately we're going to end up with velocity development, but I don't think we should start with the velocity, the velocity development. We should start with the workload management part. Yeah. And that's perfect. I want to dive into that idea a little bit more because it feels like it's a never ending debate, um, between, Poor pitching mechanics cause injuries and or workload management issues cause injuries. And I would just love, I'm guessing by your last answer that you have a, that you have a take on this, but I'd love to kind of explore that and hear, hear your thought process behind that a little bit more. Um, okay, so I definitely think that workload management or the inability to manage workload is going to cause more injuries than anything else. With that being said, I'm also on the other side of the spectrum where I do believe that some mechanical things can cause injuries. Um, You know, of course, when we're talking baseball, most of the time we're thinking about arm injuries. Um, So arm action is one of the first things that our coaches here focus on is because, you know, I I think if there was something mechanical that would lead to an injury that most baseball players are worried about, which is an arm injury, it's probably going to be an arm action uh, related issue whether that be, you know, timing or the positions that we're getting into or things along those lines. Um, So I I definitely think both can cause injuries. Um, 
but you, you could have the most efficient mechanics on planet earth. And if you don't manage your workload correctly, you're still going to get hurt. Um, so I think that's definitely the, the bigger mountain of the two. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. And for us, whenever we start talking about injuries, the first thing that we always have the caveat is if we could trace it to one thing, like if you or I had the answer to like, this is how we solve arm injuries in baseball, we wouldn't be here doing this podcast. Like we would own an island somewhere in the Caribbean. And um, so anyone that tells you like, oh, I have the answer to throw harder and never get hurt again, like they're they're lying. <laughs> oh, 100%. If, if anyone says that you're not going to get hurt doing this program, they're lying. Um, and I think, you know, we'll tell people the truth is like, you know, kids do get hurt when they're throwing. It's one of the fastest movements in sports. Like injury risk is never going to be zero. Right. But if we can manage our workload properly, we can at least decrease that risk. Right. And I think that's something uh, we really need to get through to the younger generations is, you know, start workload management should start and you should learn what it's like, like very early on. Um, and you know, this whole caveat of like people trying to say, you know, you know, take three months off from throwing in the off season when you're 12, 13, 14 years old. Like, I'm, I'm going to disagree. Um, 14 year olds play more baseball games than pretty much anyone else I've ever seen. Um, it's pretty crazy. And when they take those three months off and they have two months before their season starts or potentially less, they're already walking into their season in an injury risk place because their workload's not going to be high enough to be able to handle those, you know, eight game weekends that they're playing, which is already crazy enough. Um, but I've gotten to the point where I really start to think about it as, you know, um, starting at the end, right? So when their season ends, I look at when their next season begins and work backwards. If we don't have time to take time off, then we're not going to take time off. We're just going to go through a very, very deep deload um, and then start ramping back up. And I think, I think that's something that more people need to start to understand. And I think uh, going through, you know, modus and pulse can really help with that, um, especially if you're not working with, with a professional. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, every, every person needs to be individual and, um, you know, needs to be based off of where their needs at, what their goals are, what else is going on. And, you know, when we start looking at it and with the kind of debate of uh, mechanics versus workload, I I try to explain to people that I don't think it's I don't think they're separate because if we ultimately look at it as we're with workload, we're measuring stress on the arm multiplied by number of throws, roughly. It's if we're the most simplistic way of kind yeah. of phrasing it. So if we we could throw less hard, which would probably decrease the workload because it would decrease stress, but your career would probably be relatively short with the way baseball is going right now. Mm -hmm. right? You, would, you know, there's lots of kids that throw in the sixties that don't hurt their arms very often. And that's fine. Right. They might have a lot of fun playing and that's good, but they're probably not getting recruited at that. So we start talking about it as efficiency, which is the highest possible arm speed with the lowest possible amount of stress. And it's not zero. It's just like, that's what we start looking at. And then the more efficient you can be, the better, which is what you were kind of getting at, the better your performance probably is. 
And the more throws you're going to be able to complete at any given stress level of your elbow. So now that same 70 pitch outing that you threw on Friday, if you were more efficient with your mechanics was less stress. Now, does it mean that that's not going to get hurt? No, I wish it did, but you have to talk about your nutrition and your hydration and your sleep and we could keep going with, did you do your warm up? Did you keep strength training in season? Did you, we could keep going down all these things, but like I would take my chances on trying to be more efficient and then monitoring your workload over time as like being, um, two things that you could put together to try to reduce the, the chances that you get hurt as well as improving your performance. hundred uh, percent. I can't agree with that more. I mean, I've seen, you know, uh, significantly high stress levels on low effort throws with some individuals with less efficient mechanics and then you'll see you know the pro guy that happens to be right out there throwing and you'll see extremely low stress numbers on the exact same drill with the exact same weight um i think you know if we put it into terms i've seen someone do a pivot pickoff with a blue plyo ball at like 40 percent effort one person had like 41 newton meters worth of stress and the guy right next to him had six right so how can we figure out workload management but also learn how to be as efficient as possible because the more efficient we are it's just decreasing stress in the first place anyways right and and you know long term there gets to be i think the better the player is like the more difficult the conversations get to be because um, you might have a guy that throws 100 with relatively inefficient mechanics so he might not be able to repeat it that often, but if he's a reliever, that might work to throw 20 pitches a couple times a week, but like that might not work if that kid wants to be a starter, right? And so you get into these conversations of like, do you change stuff? What, you know, does, don't, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, and that kind of leads us back to the injury time of that's one of the things for us when people ask, like, should we make this change? And you know, if the kid's not that talented, like, yeah, it's pretty easy to be like, well, you're not throwing that hard and your arm hurts. So like, yes, let's try to throw harder. And, you know, when you get the like, oh, he's already elite and he's dealing with this, do we fix it? Do we not fix it? Well, you know, it gets to be a conversation. Then injuries can come into play with like, well, this is starting to show that it's not holding up well over time. So yeah, it does work for you from a performance standpoint, but might not work for me from a longevity standpoint and that can factor into that conversation oh yeah i think you know as soon as you start working with guys that throw 95 miles an hour plus whether or not you talk to them about changing something becomes a much longer conversation in your head yeah a much much longer conversation in your head because if they do make that change and performance goes down you're the bad guy and you should be um but then at the same time when we're looking at injury risks, like, you know, trying to look at the rules, not necessarily the exceptions of what we know about my biomechanics, like, do I want to help this individual be able to last longer or not? And, you know, I think we've had some really good examples of kids who throw 90 who have arm problems. Yeah, I'm probably going to start to fix those things. And then you see an individual who tops like 98 doesn't have arm problems and you're like i don't know how this kid does this Uh, right so definitely see both both ends of the spectrum yeah no and it can just be um we might get into this a little bit later too but it can just be it can be one of the hardest things when everyone wants to look at the elite and then try to work backwards from that and 
like don't get me wrong there's a lot that we can learn from them but sometimes then you have to sit there and be like okay well this guy does something different and unique so is he elite because of that or could he be even better if he didn't do that right and you just get into these kind of unanswerable questions but um, I think I agree with you completely like the higher up the spectrum the player is the more cautious you have to be about starting to tinker um, because if you're wrong on some of those you might take the the reason that he got to the big leagues or got the d1 offer you could fix that all the way to no longer playing at that level oh 100 percent um i think that 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 one's really interesting it's just you know you see it basically comes down to you know are are they one of the guys that's the rule or are they an elite compensator that they are an exception um and trying to figure that out before you ruin it is, is a tough task. Um, cause you know, we've, we've had pro guys in here. I was like, yeah, that, that doesn't look so optimal. And then all of a sudden I, they're the most successful ones. And, and you're just like, ah. it just, you really have to wrap your brain around it because there's some interesting movement patterns out there that lead to some incredibly successful yeah. careers. I think, uh, you know, when I'm starting to think about those, I immediately think of Jake Arietta, like, dude strode like a foot across his body through all the way around his body i was like that can't be healthy um but then i know early on in his career i think it was with the orioles they tried to get him to stride in line and he sucked and his velocity (laughs) went way down Uh, i think when he got traded he went back to stepping across his body and was immediately successful again so you gotta you gotta pick and choose which things you really really want to mess with with those elite guys no, no, that's uh, it's definitely could be a whole nother, whole nother uh, uh, two hour long episode. But let's go back towards more of the generic, um, or not generic, because but just the everyday probably high school baseball player, college baseball player that wants to try to throw harder. Um, because, and we can we can debate the way baseball is going, whether it's good, bad, but like it's going that direction, and there's just certain numbers that you have to be able to hit if you want to play at a certain level. So say you've got a a new client that comes in here, they want to um, keep their arm healthy, try to throw harder. Um, What, what do they need to do? What are the key components that go into, into trying to improve your velocity in baseball? I think first and foremost, the number one most important thing that we're going to see is consistency. Um, I don't think anything is ever going to trump consistency. Um, yeah, we've seen guys that come in twice a week and only lift twice a week and throw twice a week that have got good results. But typically when we're seeing the best results we see in the facility, it's, you know, those are the guys that are lifting three to four times a week, depending on what they're programmed for. And they're throwing five, six, seven times a week with plenty of recovery days in there. Um, so I think consistency definitely needs to be um, number one. Um, I think number two, starting to learn your own body, um, you know, especially in the private sector, if you're, if you're throwing guy in the private sector, your job isn't to be a pitching coach. Your job is to teach them how to be their own pitching coach, because we're never going to be there when they're throwing in a game or when they're going through, um, you know, some ups and downs in a practice or a game or a bullpen, we can't be there to help them fix it. So I've really gotten into the way of like 
not just saying, hey, let, let's fix this. Uh, I'll basically do like, here's a video of where you're at. Here's a video comparison of like the position that I want you to try and achieve. Just show them that and then have them go through and try and figure it out on their own. Because when their brain starts to put these puzzle pieces together on its own, rather than just giving have us giving them all of the answers, I think that's when they're going to start to see the most success because they can, I mean, most guys can figure out whether or not this feels more efficient or less efficient. Um, obviously we have biomechanics labs now that can tell us that, but when they're in a game, like they need to be able to feel whether or not, you know, their arm was up on time or things along those lines. And, you know, that way, Oh, I felt this. I already know the answer. Right. They shouldn't have to be thinking about these things or, um, you know, my favorite thing is you'll see some more, not necessarily throwing shade in any direction, but you'll see some older pitching coaches that, you know, they'll give a, a coaching cue after every pitch or every other pitch. And, you know, you're working, they're working with a 12 year old. The next thing you know, this 12 year old goes and throws in a game. He starts to struggle and he's no longer thinking about the task at hand. He's not thinking about throwing strikes or winning the ball game. He's thinking about what pitching coach has been saying because he wants to be able to have that outcome. Therefore, the second we lose sight of the real task at hand, which is to just throw strikes and get outs. And we're starting to think about other things, the worse we get at throwing strikes and getting outs. Um, I think once they get into that position of just competitive mindset and whatever's happening, like it's okay, I'm going to be able to fix it in one throw. I think that's where we're going to start to see the most success. Um, because you know, it, it happens just about every week. I came, kid comes in, my miss was this, what was I doing? I don't know. Typically when you're in here, when your miss is that, what do I have you work on? And they're like, Oh, yeah, like let's let's just start to to think. You know, if I'm if I'm throwing up in the zone, why am I looking at the catcher's glove? Let's just look at the dirt. Yeah, and you know, simple changes like that uh, I think can be really powerful for helping someone maximize their own career. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great, and I think that consistency piece is so important and just under um, underlooked. And I don't know how you what your perception is on it, but my. My perception, especially in velocity development, is I like to see pitchers have like a very slow, steady, smooth curve over a period of years where they where they start to throw like everyone wants to like, I want to add five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour this off season. And, and we've seen kids do it. And that's great. And unfortunately, we often see kids that do it because they're in my office um, right afterwards. And I just I don't have the research to back it up, but just from what we know about the human body, like it adapts to stress over time. And I just think that sometimes soft tissues and bones and everything else, when you go from 70 to 80 or 60 to 75 or whatever, pick your velocity range in like one off season, I'm like, Oh boy. <laughs> like, oh. you know, we should limit innings next year or we should do whatever. And so I just think that idea of consistency of like, let's not set a one year goal what if we met you when you were in eighth grade and we said, how hard would you like to throw in your junior year? <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. and, um, went that way and just, but like then the kids and families and everything else need to like commit to that and be okay with it. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know you've seen some of our guys that have put on like 20 miles an hour in a year and 
they're in your office for a reason. <laughs> the body can't necessarily handle adapting to that that fast. But at the same time, if they keep going up like that, like I try and limit as much as possible. And next thing you know, like they're still hitting PRs, and it it's nuts. So you can't you can't stop them from well, going up. But at the same time, you're like, can you just please slow down a little bit? And back to your, but back it kind of goes back to that workload point because one of the things that we'll talk about, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's like they get this big like jump in performance. Therefore, they just went from being a middling pitcher in their, whether it's their travel team or their high school or whatever the case may be, they were another guy, right, mm-hmm. to big jump in performance. They are now the star. So in addition to the performance jump, they are typically throwing more innings in a given year than they ever have before. So we're back to this workload thing of was it the velocity? Was it the innings jump? Was it both? And so what we'll see, because we try to see kids, I don't want to say preventatively, but like um, we do like baseline assessments with pitchers a lot and we'll try to just like help them monitor throughout. And that's one of the things that we talk to them about is if you just had um, this 10 to 15 mile an hour velocity jump, that's awesome. How many innings did you throw last year? And I wouldn't throw any more than that. Like that would, I would just set, you know, this year, the only thing you're going to increase is your is the intensity and your performance, but like, don't overthrow just because now you have the opportunity to. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I had multiple kids have to go through that scenario this year. Um, I made mean, a kid go from sitting 88, 90 to sitting 95, uh, and you know, I literally had a meeting with his his high school coach and him before the season started. I was like, yeah, like. We got to limit innings very, very well and very strategically because his arm's still not used to just throwing this hard. Um, and I think, I think that's the number one thing that like younger high school guys are gonna like overlook. Like, say freshman year, they made the freshman team and they were throwing seventy miles an hour, and then they they walk in the next spring and they're sitting eighty two, eighty four, and coach is like, "Oh, you're gonna get some some varsity innings this year." And they get thrown out there for twice as many innings as they've thrown in a high school season the year before. And the next thing you know, they're not playing summer ball because they're spending their whole summer and fall in physical therapy. Yes. Um, and that, I think that, that really goes back to that workload management. Just understanding it as a player, not necessarily having your coaches understand it. Because I don't, I think as a player, you shouldn't ever bank on your coach to understand topics like that. Um, just out of experience. Um, yeah. But like starting to understand those things and put limits on yourself and start to think about things really long term, like you said, because like it doesn't it doesn't matter if what you're doing as a freshman in high school, but, you know, going into the summer of your junior year, fall of your senior year, those things start to matter and you have to be healthy for those things. Mm-hmm. So if you're not healthy in the first place, none of it mattered at yeah. all. And back to your point of like, Everyone wants to be the eighth grader that commits to the D1 program. I promise that if you're not good in your junior year or you're hurt all the way through, like that commitment isn't going to be there. No, absolutely. <laughs> at at not. that point. So, yeah, it's that, it's that long term view. Um, so, let's take kind of that same idea. We've talked about efficiency, workload, and kind of consistency, which all plays a role. But with 
like a typical high school pitcher that you're working with, what are maybe some common mechanical, like maybe the most common couple mechanical mistakes that you see in younger pitchers that are sort of robbing them of some of that efficiency and, and ability to safely create arm speed? Um, something I see a lot is guys having late arm actions. So um, when their arm should be up, you know, form is still parallel with the ground or even lower than that. Um, I think that creates a lot of timing issues, um, which will inherently increase stress for the most part. Um, obviously, there's some exceptions to that rule. Um, I see a lot of guys who struggle to understand or create hip-to-shoulder separation, whether that be a strength issue or just a sequencing issue. Um, that's something I see a lot. And most of the time, it's, you know, they're just opening their torso way too early. Uh, and things along those lines. Um, and then I'd say the other thing that I typically see is our younger guys not understanding how to load the backside very well. Um, you know, without even talking about hip structure, like we'll just see too many kids just trying to jump off the mound and not necessarily use their lower half at all. Um, something I've really gotten into lately, regardless of hip structure is just telling them to, you know, as they're going into leg lift, I want you to think about sitting down onto a toilet and as you go down the mound, just keep sitting deeper and deeper and deeper. Some guys it works. And then some guys they end up finding that sticking point of, I shouldn't go any deeper than this because I can't move faster. Um, so really starting to look at that because that's going to change the sequence of everything above it. Um, you know, we've even fixed arm action timing issues by fixing the lower half. Um, so those are, those are probably my top three is, you know, backside loading, early arm action, and lack of hip-to-shoulder separation due to either the backside or early torso rotation. Um, those are definitely the three that I see on a regular basis. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers the gamut of most, most, uh, most things that we see. And I think the real art of it is, uh, like what we joke with everyone is, uh, like, yeah, we have the 3D motion capture technology and we have you know, the knowledge of saying like, okay, that's not good. Like, yeah. we don't like that. And then the next question and the question that really matters is like, well, how do you fix it? Right. And that, and that's where I'm like, all right, well, I don't really know. That's <laughs> not my wheelhouse. Like I'm the guy being like, yeah, we don't like that. That's, that's, that's not the best way to do that. That might be contributing why your arm hurts. Um, we can tell you what's wrong, but when you start getting into, well, why is your arm late? Well, why are you doing this? And and then what's the drills and the feels and the things that you need to work on that that get it all to sync, sync up in that right way? That's where um, it's just really important to get with somebody knowledgeable that can help you through that. Because um, anybody could stand there with a video camera and be like, this is what you're doing wrong. The like, best are the ones that are able to like take that and then make it better <laughs> yeah like actually creating an action plan um and i think that that goes into a lot of things you know when you're going into creating one of those action plans number one you have to have an understanding of their anatomical structure because if their anatomical structure is going to inhibit them from creating that movement in the first place then there's no point in spending time on it um and then i think the other thing is you just have to be willing to go through trial and error um there's one thing I've noticed is you can't use the same coaching cues and you can't use the same drills to create the same result for everyone. Um, you know, that's why we have different buckets of drills, but you almost have to be willing to just sit there and, 
you know, try out five different things until you get one that creates the correct feel or creates the correct sequence and then try and hammer down on that, whether it's, you know, progressing that drill occasionally or, you know, maybe you find something that almost works and then you have to sit there and creatively think, how can I regress this drill one step that I've never done before to help this athlete create those those changes? Um, so that it definitely you know, you get to start to think about those, those critical, uh, problems, I guess you can call it because, um, you know, changing movement patterns, like for a 12 year old, for an 18 year old and for a 30 year old are going to be completely different. Um, we can have, I can tell a professional athlete to just do this with their body. Oh yeah. This and this and this changed. Like it felt really good. And they can typically do it in like one or two throws. Yep. And then you have a 12-year-old, okay, well, this is what we're going to focus on for the entire offseason, this just one movement right here, and let's hope we make progress on it. Right. Um, and I think that that's where it starts to get tricky, is like learning the level of proprioception of, of your athletes and how fast they can make those changes. Or if we can just turn their brain off completely and let something else do the work for us. Right. That's definitely my, my favorite route. But then you start to get to some of those older athletes, and you actually have to start talking about what you're trying to do as well for it to make sense. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's really gets into motor learning and then you get the next, you know, the next level, which would be, we're going to have to do this again. Cause then it's like, okay, well, can you do it in a bullpen? Well, does that actually translate under the stress of a game? <laughs> right. And, yeah. and then the stress of every level of that, you know, when no one's there, when there's a big crowd, when there's scouts in the stands, like, does that hold up? over time um, is mm-hmm. is that ultimate test of like did it work well we're gonna find out eventually but it might not be tomorrow yep um and I, I think that also goes into you know the timing of when we're trying to make changes and when we're just trying to maintain workload yeah. um i think right now this is how my brain currently works you know this may change because things are always changing but i typically try not to have guys go through like mechanical changes in season unless it's something like really small um or something that the drill can do for them um but then if we're going into like actually coaching like changing how the hips are working or something along those lines i try and start that within the first week of the off season so we can get as many reps as possible without um a high stress situation where their body's going to want to revert to what was more natural for them or what's ingrained um, that way we kind of have a better chance of it sticking. Not to say that that always works because, you know, first time they go out and they got the first game of the season butterflies, they might go back to completely what's normal. We might just have to do a couple thousand more reps the way we wanted to before it starts to show up in a game. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's just the body's, I mean, there's so much kinesiology and muscles and joints and bones and tendons that matter, but then you know, you really start getting into it and it's like, well, then you have your brain and your nervous system and, and it is, should really be the neuromusculoskeletal system, not just the musculoskeletal system, because ultimately that's what drives, drives movement and intent. And, and yeah, it's not about how you, like, once you're in the game, it's not about how you get it done. It's about actually doing it. (laughs) Can you actually throw strikes and get outs? I think anyone that's listening to this if you're an individual that says pitching is simple, you might have changed your mindset right now because this is not simple. It's very complex. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, let's just wrap up. It was just kind of a couple of uh, 
fun questions just real quick that you can your answer can be as long or as short as you want them to be um do you have a favorite pitcher to watch right now um i don't although i scroll through pitching ninja just about daily just to look at nasty stuff i think shohei otani's new sinker is probably one of the most disgusting things i've ever seen um i'm really infatuated with the you know the new trend of having a sweeper rather than a slider. I think that's been um, really interesting. I like watching guys throw those. I mean, it literally looks like a Frisbee. So, I mean, what's not to like about that? Um, but yeah, no, not not necessarily one specific pitcher that I like to watch um, or anything along those lines. In fact, I, I rarely get to actually watch baseball games at this yeah. point in my life. Um, I think I rely more on on Twitter to give me those updates rather than anything else. Yeah, and you just summed up the uh, difficulty in pro sports in a nutshell right now. (laughs) Yeah, if if you work in sports, odds are you don't have time to actually watch a lot of sports. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, Do you have a piece of advice that you wish somebody gave you when you were younger? Velocity matters. There we go. When I was was in high school, you know, still in the, uh, like, early to mid-2010s, graduated in 2015 um you know there was a lot of guys that were getting drafted topping out at 90 in high school and i was constantly getting told you know velocity doesn't matter it's it's not necessarily the only thing well the reality is velocity is the number one thing that matters because that gets you through the minimum barrier of entry um you know i just worked with a, a junior college baseball team over the weekend and uh I didn't see a single pitcher that threw less than 90 miles an hour. I only know of two or three on that pitching staff that actually top out less than 90 miles an hour. And this is a junior college. Um, so velocity matters. Yeah. No, it, it uh, really does. And it can be, you know, I'm, I'm here for the existential debate about is it the right thing? And, you know, I get all sides of it, but it's just the reality. Right? We can, yeah. We can... And- you know, I don't. I don't think it's the end all be all, but like there is definitely a mini a minimum barrier of entry yep. when it comes to velocity. And if you're not above that minimum barrier of entry, then your stuff and your command. I don't. I don't think it necessarily matters. You might. You might have fun playing baseball games. You might be great at winning baseball games. But if it's not going to get you to the next level, then what's the point? Yeah. No. I'm. Uh, I agree. Well, I appreciate all the time. I uh, know you've got a busy, busy day here and uh, a lot of pitchers coming in to get ready for. So I will uh, let you go. Is there anywhere that any of our listeners, if they don't know about you or follow you, can either find you online or, or follow along with what you're doing? Um, Instagram, Carter Hone 14, uh, C-A-R-T-E-R-H-O-H-N-1-4. Um, and I believe the Twitter is... Carter Hone 14 as well. So okay. find me on there and uh, enjoy my subpar social media game. <laughs> All right, we'll, uh, we'll make sure we uh, get those in the show notes. Thanks again for the time and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for having me. Hey, Dr. Michael here. I want to say a sincere thank you for taking the time to listen to that episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. Dr. Brett, Lauren, and I are all extremely passionate about this podcast and trying to use it to help share high quality, factual information and debunk some of the common myths and misconceptions that we see around athletic performance and rehabilitation. If you have a minute, we would sincerely appreciate you taking the time to leave a rating and review on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a teammate, coach, or colleague who you think may benefit. We want as many people to be able to hear and listen to this information as possible. 
Lastly, if you are on social media, head over to our page at MKE Sports Podcast or at Kinetic underscore SMP to follow us so that you get all the latest information. We love to engage, so leave a comment on this podcast, tell us what you learned, or feel free to ask us a question. We sincerely appreciate all of the support, and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode.